1: And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything. Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, this is Angie from All Creatures Podcast, and for today's interview, I'm extremely excited to be talking with award-winning wildlife cinema photographer, and National Geographic Explorer, and host of Epic Adventure on Disney Plus, Bertie Gregory is in the house. Today, Bertie and I will be talking all about his new wildlife series, Animals Up Close with Bertie Gregory, featuring some incredible wildlife behavior never seen before on camera. And this series will air September 13th on Disney Plus really soon. And I have to tell you, I've had the privilege of previewing animals up close. And this wildlife series is, it's wow! It's just wow, breathtaking. It literally had me on the edge of my seat watching some of the most thrilling wildlife inter- interactions in some of the most harsh environments I've ever seen. So welcome, welcome, Birdie. Uh, It's so wonderful to have you on the podcast. I have so many questions about how you got this footage, and uh, it was just, it's incredible. So thank you for being with me today. I know you're a very busy man.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. Good to chat.
1: Yes. And so I have to start with the origin story of Birdie Gregory. What came first for you? The passion for wildlife or or for photography and film? Did you grow up watching National Geographic wildlife documentaries?
0: So yeah, I'm definitely a wildlife enthusiast first, filmmaker second. Okay. And I think that that comes from my family. So my mum and dad and my three brothers, we're all obsessed with being in the ocean and with water sports. So from a really early age, I was thrown in the ocean uh, to surf and sail and all that kind of thing. And I think when, when you spend that amount of time in nature, in the ocean, you gain an appreciation for it. And... I think also because I had that time, you know, now uh, when I do it as a job, it means that I'm very comfortable being cold and wet and in the sea, which is all very useful. In my teenage years, I started to take pictures of the animals that I was kind of getting obsessed with looking for and finding and ended up winning a couple of wildlife photography competitions with those pictures. And at one of the awards ceremonies for those competitions, uh, I met a guy called Steve Winter. He is one of National Geographic magazine's kind of legendary wildlife photographers. And it just so happened at that event, he was looking for a new assistant. And I was in the right place at the right time. I said the right thing. This was my, my Willy Wonka golden ticket moment. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, he offered me a job. And so I, I worked for him for two years. And uh, 10 years later, I'm still lucky enough to, to work for National Geographic.
1: Oh, it's just so incredible. And I mean, Bertie, you, you sound like you started off in the oceans doing a lot of water sports and that you seem very, very comfortable in the ocean in cold Antarctic waters diving where I'm sitting and being like, oh, heck no, I wouldn't do that. I mean, <laughs> I found myself saying that a lot, like, no way, not even the younger Angie would not do that. So I have a feeling you might pick an ocean animal, but this is a difficult question if you had to pick just one, or I'll even give you two animals, do you have a favorite? And if so, why?
0: Well, so I've got a lot of favorite animals. (laughs) I mean, my main favorite animal uh, is the peregrine falcon. Uh, It's the fastest animal on earth. I grew up photographing it. Cities are actually unlike many animals who hate cities. Uh, Peregrine falcons do very well in cities. Um, you know They naturally nest on cliff sides, so they see our big old high rise buildings as their native cliff homes. But moving away from, from peregrine falcons, my favorite marine animal uh, has to be the killer whale. And for animals up close, we headed down to Antarctica to film the best killer whale that there is, um, which is a killer whale, uh, an, a type of Antarctic killer whale called B, the B1s. There's only 100 of them in existence. And they are very, very special because they basically that they look for seals that are resting on chunks of ice, chunks of frozen ocean. Um, and to access those seals, they work together as a family, as a pod to create a wave to wash the seals off the ice and into the water. And everyone always wants to know, you know, just how clever, how smart are wild animals? Well, I can't think you know, I, I, I haven't seen a better demonstration of animal intelligence than those those wave washing killer whales.
1: Oh, Bertie, it was just incredible. I mean, I'm a working mom with three young boys. I am always tired. Usually at night, if my husband and I turn on the TV, I accidentally doze off. But I was lucky enough to be able to preview this series, Animals, Up Close. And oh my goodness, we, my husband and I stayed up so late binge watching all the episodes. And I we were literally ooing and aahing. Oh, oh my gosh, no, no. Making odd, audio, audible sounds because it was just so impressive. We were so on the edge of our seats, especially with some of that killer whale uh, hunting behavior. We should, you we should
0: just do a podcast episode dedicated entirely to to your animal reaction noises. <laughs>
1: Yes. I'd I like, listen to that. Well, and I will say, when you were doing some of the clicks, the echolocation clicks, I was like, oh, uh-huh. he's really good at that. So <laughs> we could go, maybe we could go tit for tat. For, uh, I also do Great Hippo, and my husband does Great Lion, so nice. that could be our, our fun sidebar podcast. But, <laughs> I like yeah, it. I mean, so if you wouldn't, without giving all of it away, uh, because people have to watch this series, it's just incredible. Can you give us a brief summary of, of what the series is about, a few of the species that you sure. filmed and some of the locations?
0: Yeah, so it's 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 kind of a hybrid show. So it, it, it combines incredible animal behavior and, and sort of wildlife spectacles and gatherings but it, it combines that with uh, the our adventure uh, to find those animals and and so it kind of mirrors you know the struggles of the animals to survive and our struggles to keep up with these animals and and so that's really at the heart of the show and and together with that we kind of tell those stories through with animals up close through individual animals or individual animal families. So yeah, in each episode, we we follow a particular individual. Um, And and, I mean, to give you an idea, uh, my favorite episode uh, is the Puma episode, which we filmed in Patagonia, Patagonia Puma. And we weren't just trying to film Pumas. We were trying to film one particular Puma, and she is called Pataka. And I've got a bit of a history with Pataka because four years ago, when she was a tiny cub, I was filming her, uh, her and her family, and it was amazing because she was this lovely bundle of fluff, completely useless uh, at hunting, entirely reliant on her mother. Um, and so, four years on, when it came to choosing where we went for animals up close, I thought it was the right time. You know, we decided it was the right time to try and see if we could track her down and see how she was doing. And not only had she survived, which is no, you know, that's a big deal. You know, the Puma cub survival is not particularly high. Not only did she survive, but she was now this boss mom with two of her own cubs uh, and just this amazing, powerful animal. And so when we found her, that was amazing to kind of see her again. Big emotional experience for me. But then she took us on this physical and emotional roller coaster. Uh, we spent fifty-one days filming this episode. It was the most of any of the episodes. And yeah, physical roller coaster because she would often walk 10, 15 miles in a day up and down the mountains. We had eighty pound eighty pounds of gear each, you know, following her following her along. And emotional experience because, you know. She doesn't care about us, but we care a lot about her. And so when she was getting into all kinds of trouble, you know, she she in the episode, she uh, has to fight off a male that is a male puma that's twice as heavy as her um, that's trying to kill her cubs. She goes to a battle to the death with a guanaco, which is this big wild llama. It's like a camel with no hump on steroids with a really bad attitude. And that's Um, spinning. Exactly, lots of spitting, lots of Whoa! And that's their their alarm call when they see a puma. So yeah, she took us on this crazy roller coaster, and and yeah, oh, yeah, it was it was incredibly rewarding and a magical experience. But man, does she play with your nerves? Well, yeah, she's yeah. A, I she's mean, a that's what,
1: yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, please, to all my listeners out there, please, whatever you're watching on Hulu or Netflix or I mean, this this series is so thrilling and interesting. You learn a lot, but you're also really, I, don't, I, I use entertain loosely, but really you're all in. Like like you said, the Puma doesn't care about you, but you care about the Puma. Like you've never cared about anything else. Like my kids could have come in in the middle of the night and I've been like, get out of here. I got to see what, what's happening with this Puma. So it's just so Phenomenal, and like you said, all the hiking and all the uh, carrying eighty pounds of gear. I I kept thinking, how is all this gear getting into this location or that location? Uh, and so, Birdie, I was wondering if you could touch on what was one of the more difficult and or challenging environments that you were in because you're in Antarctica. You're in Antarctica with a orcas and then the tree taps with the forest. Yeah, elephants. I was going
0: to say, I think, I think in terms of like a physical, well, so two things come to mind with physical challenge. Uh, we're talking about the Patagonia Puma episodes. Certainly the, the hardest individual day we had across the whole 219 days of filming for the six episodes was when we climbed the Almirante Nieto mountain in Patagonia um, at the heart, in the heart of the Puma uh, territory and, um, and we actually spent 3 days climbing the mountain but our summit day the day we reached the top in the middle we climbed uh it was 20 uh kilometers horizontally so what's that like 12 13 miles uh wow. in the day and then we did 1800 meters of vertical elevation so it's about 2000 meters so that's yeah 6000 feet of up and down With crampons, you know, the spiky boots that that you wear and ropes and all that that stuff. And yeah, the leg burn was insane. So that was probably the hardest individual day. In terms of the hardest environment to operate in, it was probably, uh, as you mentioned, the Elephant Quest episode. So for that episode, we were filming in the jungles of the Central African Republic, which is a country that I never thought uh, I'd get to go. So it's very cool to go there. Um, And this jungle is home to forest elephants, and forest elephants are, a, you know, they're a different species to savanna elephants, which I'm sure your listeners are more familiar with. They're the elephant, the big gray ones that live in, you know, big wide open plains with lines. lions mm. and are in Lion King. Exactly. Forest elephants live in, in thick jungle and just like humans and other wild animals, they all have a personal space. But because you're in a thick jungle, you, you don't see things from far away and get any warning that they're coming. So you just sort of, bump into them, and they get a surprise, we get a surprise, and everyone gets very angry. The other reason is that they have been heavily poached for their ivory. That poaching still goes on today. And so for that reason, they're long-lived. Many individuals have seen their family members killed by humans. Understandably, they don't like people. So we had to think of a different way to film them because we wanted to film them without disturbing them. That's always the golden rule with filming wildlife. So we actually lived off the ground. We built a canopy camp, 120 feet up a big, mm-hmm. big sapilly tree. Uh, and so we had these tents known as portal edges. So if you have ever seen uh, big wall climbing films where the tent is like, it's a metal frame, like hanging off a vertical cliff. Um, that is the, the the setup we were using, but hanging in the trees. And so you're, Eating in the trees, sleeping in the trees, going to the bathroom in the trees.
1: I had a question about that. I'm like yeah. I, I drink a lot of water and so I, I, I frequent the bathroom a lot. And I'm like, I, I would be nervous to like have to drink a lot of water and go to the bathroom. And did you have to scale cause then watching you guys scale from platform to platform from where you're filming to where you were camping?
0: Right. So we I, wanted to you know, scent is a big thing and so is noise and we wanted to make sure we we were filming them at a place called a Bai, which is a clearing in the forest and it's it's a place, very rare, that you can find, you can see elephants from far away. So the place we were filming at was called Zanga Bai and it's actually the no, there's nowhere else on Earth where forest elephants gather in such big numbers. You know, we were seeing 100, 150 elephants at a time, was which considering they live in much smaller family units than savannah elephants, you know, you're not seeing a family of 150, it's Many, many families of twos and threes and fours. So it's this big party for them. Um, And so we had a filming platform that was attached to a tree about 30 foot off the ground, right at the edge of this bi. But our sleeping canopy camp was about 300 feet away from that platform. And we didn't want to go on the ground because we didn't want to put our scent on the floor. And it could, you know, if it's, it's dangerous for us, if we bump into the elephant's. So uh, Waldo and Meg, uh, our tree riggers, set up a 300-foot zip line, uh, and it's definitely the most badass commute to work I've ever had. And uh, that said, it sounds really great, you know, oh, a zip line through the forest. But this isn't like a metal zip line, like in a it theme park. It looks pretty
1: physical, where I'm right. like, yeah, it's a I was like, yeah.
0: they must be in their like
1: 20s, early 30s, so- I'm like, ah, that's not for <laughs> me.
0: So the first <laughs> half is downhill down the rope. So it's lovely. You go really fast, wind in your hair. Um, and then the second half, yeah, it's like doing 50 chin-ups. Mm. It's a really good workout. We came back from that shoot pretty ripped. Um, mm. Yeah. So that's, uh, that, was, that was a good time.
1: So to finish that question, bathroom in the tree or did you go down below?
0: No, you got to stay off the ground. You can't go on the ground. Okay,
1: that's all I need we, to know. I'll fill the rest.
0: But we also can't put our scent on the ground. So that's you've got to, you know, you got to aim it into a bag and then hold on to that bag. And then we hiked out with the bag after.
1: I appreciate. So, yeah, the yeah, we work did. You guys we did, uh, put into this the dedication. We did, pa- is...
0: we did rock paper scissors for who carries the the poo bag.
1: <laughs> well, you're like I said, your dedication is. You get to, and that's the cool thing about this series too. Is it, it's the film the film is amazing the animal behaviors i'm going to touch on here in a second is incredible but the behind the scenes aspect of getting to see how your team and you do this is was for me also a really fun part of the ride. So, uh, cool. They, well, we want it. We
0: want it that. to be real. We want yeah. to give the viewer. You know, we want the viewer to feel like they're part of the team. That's the goal. Oh, I um, did.
1: I mean, honestly, when like before you and I got on this call, I was like, I feel like we're already friends because you're such a good host, and you. I, I felt like I was already like. In your space and and knowing you because of of you bringing us along with all the, I guess, the the trials and tribulations, right? Like there's triumphs. Highs and
0: the lows. The highs
1: and the lows. Lots of
0: lows.
1: (laughs) uh, But speaking of some more of the highs, Birdie, there's several really incredible and unique animal behaviors that you and your team did document for the first time. For example, the endangered B1 killer whales doing that ingenious hunting style or the Galapagos sea lions coordinating their hunting efforts, the forest elephants uh, uh, foraging for minerals. So I was wondering if you want to touch briefly on just one of those and what it was like witnessing their intelligence and their adaptability firsthand. Yeah, a
0: a really fun story. I say fun, fun's maybe the wrong word. Uh, I'll come up with the word to describe it afterwards. In the Galapagos, uh, we heard about... so. i'll 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 set a bit of background so typically uh pinnipeds that's uh seals and sea lions typically the males basically they're very good at fighting and they're very good at mating and they're not very good at doing anything else
1: that's right Um, that's right right so
0: well some of some of them are very good at hunting but yeah the parental care thing is not something that they dedicate a huge amount of time to However, I heard about this story in the Galapagos where the young uh, Galapagos sea lion pups uh, would be hunted by Galapagos sharks. Galapagos sharks, a big, chunky uh, shark. If you were to draw a cartoon picture of a shark, that's the shape of a Galapagos shark. You know, big, pointy, dorsal fin, big teeth. They're great animal, really built. Um, They come into the shallows where the Galapagos sea lion pups are learning to swim and they hunt them. And it turns out that there might be more to the male sea lions role in parental care than we first thought.
1: Oh, I love um, this. Okay.
0: Because he, yeah, yeah, he, he mates with the female and then has absolutely nothing to do with, with the pups, it's thought traditionally. However, um, we filmed these males, whenever the sharks would turn up, they would jump into the water and they'd chase the sea lion That's away.
1: That's right. They were like the
0: heroes. Which is pretty wild because those sharks, I mean, could... They could eat. They, you know, they could kill a sea lion, no problem. That's what they're designed to do. You know, that's what they've evolved to do. And so, to be in the water watching those chases was was pretty wild. And we utilized uh, rebreathers you mentioned earlier. So that's uh, for people that don't know. Typically, when we're filming underwater, you use scuba diving equipment. So that makes bubbles. Those bubbles scare a lot of animals. Uh, despite popular belief, many sharks actually very scared of people. Uh, And if you make bubbles, that that scares them away. So a rebreather, when you breathe out, it takes that breath. It puts it into a bag on your back. It removes the carbon dioxide using a scrubber. It adds a little bit of oxygen. And then it gives you that same breath back via another pipe. And that hose goes into your mouth. And you're basically breathing the same breath of air over and over again. So rather than being limited to 45 minutes, an hour underwater like normal scuba, we can stay underwater for three hours plus. And we're also doing that silently. We don't make bubbles. So we can get much closer to the sharks. Um, and uh, and yeah, that means we can film them uh, hunting the sea lions uh, like we otherwise we, yeah, we otherwise couldn't.
1: Well, and, that, and you bring up a really good point about the rebreathers and getting close to the wildlife. And this is called Animals Up Close with Bertie Gregory because you do get so close. Uh, using the rebreathers, a lot of other technology, the drones for some of the aerial Footage is just jaw-dropping, like the trees looking like broccoli and just going over cliffs. And it's just incredible. But one of the shots I couldn't get over is with the killer whales in the Antarctic. The orca is like spy hopping where they come out of the water, where they look look around with their eyes to see if there's any seals on the ice. And there's several shots really close up where that poor seal. It's, it's like the seal's looking at the camera on the ice, and then the orca is like spy hopping behind literally next to it and i'm just i just for me that that cinematography or that filming was just it's something i don't think i've ever seen before so how do you how did you get that
0: so those shots so yeah in in many cases we're we're using a style of filming called cross shooting so it's it's what uh you know I think a traditional way of filming a wildlife documentary was to film from one camera angle over a very long period of time and then and then you put it together uh, afterwards. Uh, cross-shooting is where you film something from more than one angle at once. And so you're essentially editing it together you know like a live sports match does like a live okay. sports game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so in the case of the killer whales that you mentioned so yeah i had the aerial angle from the drone mm-hmm. uh, and my friend uh, tom walker he was on a gyro-stabilized camera that's at water level and ah, yeah okay. you know we're constantly filming from two angles you'll see in the episode i've got an earpiece on so me and tom are constantly talking to each other telling the other you know Often I can see a lot more than Tom can because I've got the aerial view. All he can see is dorsal fins. So, a lot of the time you hear me towards the end saying, Okay, Tom, wave coming. Like I was, I'm telling him what's about to happen so he can be ready for it. That said, he is, you know, on a much more powerful lens uh, than I am. And so he can see a lot more detail than I can. So, he's also relaying information back to me about, you know, what's the state of the seal? What are the killer whales doing? So, it's, it's a, you know, and that's just two of us. There's a much bigger team. We've got, you know, amazing boat crew on the 75-foot ice-strength and sailboat. Um, and, of course, we've got a huge team back home. Um, and that's really the cool thing about filming a, this wildlife series is not only do I get to hang out with cool animals, I get to hang out with cool people. You know, I'm lucky enough to to work with the best in the business. Um, and, yeah, it's a, it's a big, big team effort.
1: Wow. And now, Bernie, switching gears just a little bit, from the Antarctic... And then to the coral reef, to the coral reef systems in Indonesia, looking for devil rays. During your time exploring and filming, I know that you said that you've witnessed species decline, habitat loss and the impacts of global climate change. So with this recent series, I'm just wondering how bad and dire is it? And after filming this, do you have a few success stories of wildlife and or habitat conservation that you can share with us?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, being brutally honest, let's face the facts. It's not looking good. It's, it's pretty dire. And I think that one of the things that I'm proud of with this series is that we don't shy away from showing the reality. It's 2023. It's no secret that, that the wildlife, you know, wildlife nature is in trouble because of us humans. That said, I'm also proud that we go beyond that because our news cycle is so dark and depressing. There is a lot of hope. Um, and in every episode, we do feature the the success stories because I think it's really important we celebrate that because that's going to get us stoked and inspire us to do more of that around the world. I mean, you talked about the the coral reefs in, in, in Indonesia. It's a great example. So the place that we went to uh, is a place called the Missoula Marine Reserve, and 20 years ago, it was being trashed. So loads of overfishing, they were dynamite fishing. That's where you drop bombs on the coral reef. You get a very quick, easy catch. Doesn't really future-proof it, but yeah, quick, easy catch. There's lots of shark finning for the shark fin soup trade. And yeah, the local community came together and said, this is not sensible. We're going to turn this around. So they set up a a no-take zone, no fishing zone. A lot of the fishermen became rangers to patrol and police that area. Fast forward 20 years to present day, uh, it's been a massive success. So the biomass, that's the weight of living things, has gone up by 600 percent in some areas in that reserve. Uh, There are now 25 times more sharks inside the reserve than outside. But what's really cool is it's not just the wildlife that's doing well. You know, all the fish that are thriving in that protected zone, they don't stay there as they breed and reproduce. They spill out into the surrounding area. Uh, and that means that the local fishermen are benefiting from, from bigger catches. Not to mention, you know, these are now the best coral reefs in the world. So they bring people from all over the world for, you know, and tourism money goes back into the local economy. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a blueprint for how we should be protecting our oceans and areas on land. You know, this this concept of, you know, you protect a patch and the areas around it will will benefit. And, yeah, that is what gives me hope. I've seen some pretty dark things in nature, but... You know, it's people like that and, and areas like that that give me hope that you know you, you can look after wildlife for the benefit of wildlife and for the benefit of people
1: well and it's it's filmmakers like yourself and your team highlighting some of this this stuff and talking about it and bringing to bringing it to our forefront helping us fi- fall in love with the animals and their behaviors but then also wanting to save them in the environment. So it's a it's an amazing collaborative effort. And I just really appreciate the work that you're doing, that National Geographic is doing. Uh, and so, Bertie, after people watch animals up close, what is one take home message that you
0: hope they walk away with? Well, I hope they walk away being just really excited about the natural world because I think making that's...
1: animals sound oohs and ahs and ah yeah, mm, exactly like me. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I hope Literally, they come away having the... made lots of animal noises for the previous forty minutes. Yeah, we did. Um, yes,
1: yeah, definitely sharing it with all their friends because I had the pre-release, so I obviously have to keep it to myself. Uh, but man, when this airs in the next couple of days, I will be highlighting it big time and making oh, sure all my well, friends I mean, and yeah, family the... watch.
0: Our, our viewers are our, our best PR agents, um, yes, and yes. and so yeah. Please, if you enjoy it, share it with with your family and friends and far and wide, so so we can make more of this stuff. But yeah, I hope they come away being excited about the natural world, being aware of some of the challenges that it faces and we face, um, but then also coming away with with a degree of hope because it is possible to to turn this around. And you know, although these stories about particular places, the concepts that we talk about with with how these local people have turned things around in each of these places. These concepts of rewilding and, and protected areas, you can apply that to anywhere in the world at any scale. So, you know, that can be your tiny little back garden. That can be an entire nature reserve. That can be a national park. Like, you know, everyone can can do their bit to to help, help rewild the planet. And that is a good thing, as I said, not just for wildlife, it's good for us humans too.
1: Well, yeah, and Bertie, you're... An idol to many people, an inspiration. Uh, people that love wildlife often want to get into wildlife photography or filmmaking, and I'm just wondering: Do you have any advice for any aspiring natural film, for any aspiring people that want to make film uh, wildlife film documentaries uh, or become a conservationist or an explorer?
0: Sure, yeah. There's a couple things. I mean, the first thing is uh, everyone gets pretty hung up with camera equipment and getting access to really expensive camera equipment. You know, obviously that's important later on, but, it, you know, it's it's not critical. I mean, that the camera system that I mentioned, uh, my colleague Tom was using with the killer whales. He's using a gyro-stabilized camera that costs half a million dollars. You know, that's not exactly an accessible piece of equipment unless you work in this industry. Don't worry about that. You can learn, you can train on that later. The most important thing to start with is your ability to find animals and get close to them Close enough to film them without disturbing them. Um, yeah, getting close to animals on their terms, and nothing can beat those those skills. Um, and you can gain those through learning from experts, um, but also nothing also beats uh, you know practical experience. So yeah, get outside in nature, get muddy, get wet, get a bit cold, um, and yeah, learn to learn to to to, to follow and watch animals uh, on their terms without disturbing them. Um, yeah, if you can do that, then you're onto a winner.
1: In practice, you're hiking up mountains and you're scaling, uh, through trees and all sorts of, uh, really thrilling adventures because you sure do make it look easy when you're diving off the boat in Antarctica. And I'm just like, what? That looks, that seems really, really cold. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it was really cold. It was really, really cold. <laughs> I bet. And now also, Bertie, throughout your career uh, as a wildlife photographer and filmmaker, you've had a lot of adventures with um, some of your other film series. You've, imp- you've produced incredible and beautiful content and you've won several awards. So at this point, even though you're still very young in your career, I'm wondering what you're the most proud of and why.
0: Yeah, it's a on-the-spot question. You know what I love about the format of of animals up close is that, as well as getting you know having the incredible privilege of being able to shine a light on these amazing animals, we also get to shine a light on on people, uh, you know, doing doing amazing things. So I guess that's what I'm proud of is is giving a voice to you know the animals that don't have a voice, but then also amplifying the the stories of. Uh, of of these incredible conservationists and local people and anti-poaching patrols in the Central African Republic. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's cool to, to amplify their story.
1: It really is. I mean, the elephant episode, I had tears in my eyes at some points. And so, uh, but then knowing that there's this team fighting for them every day was, was just really uplifting and hopeful and highlighting their stories, like you said, along with the animal. And then, Behind the scenes of you filmmakers and your team, it's really three stories in one, and and it's all real life, right? So uh, I just it's just been such a pleasure to be able to talk with you today and to be able to, like I said, have my little sneak preview. I thought really I felt I felt felt like I had a looks like a made it moment when I'm like <laughs> look at me, uh, but now but yeah, so I'm so excited to share it with the world with our listeners uh, because. Animals Up Close with Bertie Gregory is something you should not miss this fall. It is a must-see. You'll probably binge-watch all the episodes. I know I did, and uh, it's just incredible. So my last question, Bertie, is how can people learn more about your work? Do you have a website or any social media platforms that we can share on our social media Yeah, yes. Yeah. So,
0: so I've got a website, BertieGregory.com. But yeah, the best, best place is on Instagram. Uh, my handle's at Bertie Gregory. Uh, and I put up what I'm working on, uh, the latest stuff that I'm working on and also general silliness, uh, from, from adventures.
1: Awesome. And also to our listeners out there, make sure and check out on Instagram, Nat Geo, Nat Geo, Wild, Nat Geo TV, Disney plus, and get ready for it. Be sure to check out animals up close with birdie Gregory, which streams exclusively on Disney plus on September 13th, have your popcorn, be ready to be on the edge of your seats Uh, And it will definitely be very eye opening and exciting about all the species from wild dogs to orcas, to forest elephants, to pumas. I mean, so many wonderful species in there and uh, let alone beautiful nature, like very remote places that quite honestly, I always had Galapagos on my bucket list with my husband because we're animal nerds but now after watching your episode about the Galapagos like i feel like i was there i was underwater with <laughs> those marine iguanas i was uh, you know i was i was on the ledge with the seals so you just did a great job of bringing the wildlife to our doorsteps and i just want to thank you and your team for that and for highlighting Uh, for highlighting their plight and their curiosities and for being a conservation hero. So thank you,
0: Bertie. Thanks. No, thank you.
1: Well, I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. I didn't ask this on air, but I'm sure you, I know you're in in maybe in a holding phase, but is there another project coming that I'll be able to have you on again for hopefully?
0: That would would certainly be uh, telling, but uh, yeah, there may or may not be something in the pipeline that we could may or may not talk about. Perfect. Well, I look
1: forward to your super fun guest and amazing host and definitely an inspiration to a lot of our wildlife enthusiasts. So thank you so much.